0: Hi, on the 5th and 6th of June 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible.
1: Hi everyone! Happy Friday. We are wrapping up our two-day crypto gathering. It's been another great day of conversation about what's happening at the intersection of macro investing, crypto, and AI. Are you thinking about these things in silos? You shouldn't be. The pros aren't, and that's why we are bringing you this conversation with Rao Powell, Jordy Visser, the CIO of Weiss Multi Strategy, and Angus Shillington, the director of international equity at VanEck. In the chat and Q and A, they talk about the impact. Of technology on today's markets.
2: Welcome to February's Pro Macro Insider Talks. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Rao Powell, of course, our founder and CEO, Jordy Visser of Weiss Multi Strategy Advisors, and Angus Shillington of Van Eck. Guys, we've already been having a free for all off camera here. Where, where do we start?
0: I don't really know because there's a lot, you know that we're going to talk about. And I think hopefully we'll be doing this on a repeated basis because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But everybody watching this just realize we've never done this before. <laughs> we just think there should be some real value of getting the three of us together. Um, I think let's just start with a very big picture view, what we're focused on right now, as opposed to going through the full macro framework.
2: I think m- maybe getting that out um, is a good start, Ash. So let's just dive right in. Uh, Raoul, do you want to kick us off? What are you thinking about right now?
0: I'm still super focused on um, the time horizon of right now is where I think the business cycle sweet spot lies, which is growth recovers, inflation remains low, and it, and it it starts supercharging my secular themes, which are technology and crypto. Both benefit from debasement of currency, the, the added liquidity. But in addition, there is this exponential age of technology that's playing out, and the adoption effects of that, of which probably AI is the fastest, but it may not be. Who knows what else is coming? There's a lot coming. The robots are coming fast as well. Um, we've got lots going on there. And then crypto, which is actually part of the same thesis, has been on fire as we've got you know the uh, ETF flows driving things. But really, what that all is all about is adoption. So we've got new technology adoption. Which has been growing in a secular trend. And then it gets exponential every time you add the business cycle to it. So I'm really, really hyper focused on that. If I look at, um, and just to tie in something Angus has looked at as well, I've gone through kind of every market versus debasement, um, this dividing things by the Fed balance sheet. I think, Geordie and, and Angus, I've shown you this before. This you divided by the Fed balance sheet. There's only one emerging market that actually comes out to be growing, which is again on the same basis of debt demographics and deflation is India. So you've got, you know, a very limited emerging market set that's really working, and a very limited set. But those three markets alone are giving you enormous returns. So I'm I'm super focused on that.
2: Well, that's a pretty good way to begin, What's let's, let's continue that thesis. Well, uh, let's let's to
0: find to out what the work. other two are. I think yeah. let's find out what the other two are, and then we'll take it from there.
2: Jordy, I'm going to go in the order you're on on my screen. Jordy, what's most important to you? What's most interesting to you? What jumps out at you most right now?
3: Well, let me do it within the the context somewhat, since Raúl and I agree at least on the structural forces. And I think if there's one message and and one one linkage between Raúl and I, and I think why we started to talk so often, uh, structural forces in in the world that you have to make investment decisions on that we know are going to have an impact on things going forward that are having an impact today and picking the little themes out of them that where you can make money. So let's start with demographics. So on the demographic side, you know, by 2029, the last baby boomer will be a senior and they're having an impact in the world and they're attached. Uh, in a meaningful way to what's happening in the labor markets across the world. So on the one side, that keeps the economy probably stronger than it should, than it otherwise would be, from the basis of there's just a structural shortage in in labor, and that's a real problem that continues to happen. And when you add in the work from home and all the movements on the other end, you're really caught in a situation where when people get negative on, let's say, business cycles. Connected to all business cycles or job losses, and if you have a structural labor shortage right now, regardless of AI and the things happening, that is something that has impacted our world over the last four years, and I think will continue. Geordie, let me interrupt with a quick question. something I'm trying to think through is
0: do you think that going forwards aging populations always have a tight labor market like Japan has always had mm-hmm. and that we don't get that pickup of employment again until the structure of the labor force changes. Is this a, a real shift now? And it's going to confound economists for a few cycles.
3: Yeah. I, I, and again, this gets back into this comment I make all the time, which is I, I think for that, it's the end of, of business cycles, the way we've traditionally done these overlays of, well, this is what happened in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and 2000s. The structural situation, particularly of demographics and innovation, just it really ruins that. And so in that conversation is I just don't see a situation where we're going to lose a lot of jobs. We just had a jobs number in the US which is 333,000. Okay. Uh if you go back and look over the last whatever amount of months, you're still doing numbers that are surprising everyone and it's really been during times people call recession. So I think this is going to be here Raul and I think without having job losses combined with the amount of consumer net worth that's been created through QE, through zerp through everything that's happened, you can't have a combination of aging demographics and baby boomers controlling most of the money in the world at the same time of them not needing to work anymore. So it's this combination that just is different than we've ever seen before. I guess, have you got a view on this?
4: Um, I was trying to think how I sort of pull it all together. So I'm a pure equity guy. So that's sort of important first part. So I'm focused sort of very much very similar, right? Sort of implementation of, of thesis and ideas. Um, but when I think about execution and my piece of value, it's more uh, macro takes a sort of risk management perspective rather than than, than a sort of leadership perspective. So not, not totally dissimilar. Um, I kind of agree with all you guys say. I mean, my sort of scopes are tech hardware, so good crossover and India. Um, and I think the one thing I'm so struck by right now is how the sort of implementation linkages have really broken down. Like a lot of what both of you have said, um, just a, a sort of general misunderstanding of uh, um, the value of businesses or the value of things. Or, you know, for example, um, you know, t- intangible assets. Are now I think the core driver of most businesses, right? So when you think tangible, it's like your plant and equipment and that stuff's obvious. You can see it in the balance sheet. Intangibles, the stuff you expense or the stuff that runs through your income statement, like people, right? Have you got the right people? Are these people innovative? the teams work together? Um, you know, the software you're implementing, uh, the stuff that you just don't really generally see. So it's about getting in understanding a business sort of really right from the bottom up. And I think um, you know, I believe in agency. Right. And I believe that there's never been a better time for agency inequity specifically. And I think talking to a lot of the themes that you guys uh, are talking about, but I think I, I close on this and we can talk about it as much as we want, which is this sort of idea that old school research vectors um, have become really unsophisticated engines for expectations. Right. Um, uh, I think scope has become too short. Um, and I think a lot of I read your GMI, a lot of what you said in that about, you know, capital stacks and price to book and all that kind of nonsense from the past. That stuff really, you know, it doesn't take an account for the intangible stuff, and the network effects. And so I think, you know, I think there's a lot right. of difficulty understanding the value of individual businesses right now, but the value of individual businesses are what are going to drive the implementation of your thesis, your macro strategy. So the whole thing has never been more in match.
1: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia at Super AI Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Raoul Pal, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, Edward Snowden and over 150 others will join the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a week from June 3rd through June 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit www.realvision.com forward slash superai for twenty percent off tickets with the code realvision, or click below. So let's say
0: you're right, is that people don't value businesses correctly anymore, and Geordie's right that let's say the business cycle is structurally shifted. That sounds like it's going to be an extremely positive backdrop for markets that most people don't understand. Last year was a typical market where nobody understood what had happened, but really, what you're talking about here is is kind of a a change in how people approach markets. And economies and people haven't got to that understanding yet. So maybe that's one of the reasons the markets were so ludicrously strong last year. You just need the Fed to take its you know foot off the neck of the market, and before you know it, this kind of beach ball shoots out from underwater because things have changed.
3: Well, can, can I can I just add? I I I think so. Whenever I can find a chart that kind of blows my mind, and and I put it in the context of what we're saying it's really important to me. I'm going to give you one from last year that when it came out, I had to really kind of check my mind and it's an equity one, Angus. So we can, we can, it's a macro thing that fits in the equity theme, but I think it fits really importantly with both my side and yours, which is last year, all of a sudden um, we got the net corporate interest payments. And when they released it, I figured, well, rates went higher. So net corporate, Corporate interest payments are going to be high because they had been going higher continuously for thirty years, but instead they collapsed, and they went back to levels in like nineteen eighty. And I don't know if you guys saw the chart, but the reason behind this can fit into this context of debt demographics and exponential innovation. So the reason they collapsed is because the mega cap tech companies' cash holdings are so enormous that by moving rates higher, they're getting positive cash, uh, positive dollars on their cash that more than offsets the interest expense that will happen over time, or you know, that has happened so far from these old industrial and these older companies that have debt. First of all, because they termed a lot of this stuff out. So they took advantage of the ZERP world. But then secondly, um, it's that the, in the enormous size of the mega cap or the magnificent seven or whatever you're going to do, cash lies. So that chart, when you think about it, it fits in with a lot of what we're talking about in terms of swallowing up. And I think that fits in with one of the reasons why there's no business cycles. You can do the same thing to some degree with, hey, rates have gone higher. Look where mortgage rates are. But yet mortgage payments because so many people have fixed rate mortgages. Their mortgage payments didn't go up, but they get to invest their money in the money markets at higher than where their mortgages are. So there's a lot of these net corporate interest payments which fit in with this and, thing of no more business cycles.
0: And I wrote about this in, actually in GMI, this exact thing, having not seen that chart. But I just thinking through is like, and again, there's a conversation Geordie and I had had, Angus, that is interesting to you, I think, as well. Is that we grew up in a world where businesses were financed by debt? The General Electrics of this world and all of these, there were debt finance businesses, and interest matters. Basically, the entire leadership of the S and P 500 has never had a single debt in its life, or if it does, it's just for cash flow management purposes. And they're all equity driven. Everything is equity driven now. If you think of, you know, all of the VC business, that used to be your local bank. You'd have to beg and say I'm setting up a new business. Now we call it a startup, and a startup actually means Equity, equ- equity funded thing, and therefore maybe the business cycle matters less. Angus, what what are you seeing? Because a lot of the, you know, the tech companies stuff like that. There is a difference between people who borrow money and people who don't. I mean, in your world, Ambani was a great example. He switched from one to the other very fast. Right.
4: Um. Yeah. I mean. I mean, really, sort of step it back. I think sort of. The question is, what is equity, right? And what's the purpose of equity, and what, how does equity build wealth, right? So, like, the wealthiest people on earth don't get paid massive salaries, right? They, they build businesses, and the equity in those businesses grows over time, right? That's just a reality. Um, what is the purpose of debt? Um, you know, it's... it's <sighs> It's because it's available in many cases, right? Because really the way to build a business, and this is, I'm in Mumbai right now, and I've been charging around India for the last couple of weeks. And it's really interesting because India interest rates have always been high. Inflation has been high. Currency has been an issue. So the businesses here have grown up with no access to debt. Um, and I don't want say no access, but very little access to debt. So the way that they've built and scaled is high free cash flow, know high margins, persistence of business, low cyclicality, volatility. Because they've got no,
0: they don't have access to equity investors either. So there's no VCs for most of those guys, right?
4: Where they came from. I mean that's changed, although it's changing now. But the reality is that they did it the old way, the, the sort of business school way. So right, you take cash flow and you invest that cash flow and you get a return on capital employed, which is greater than your cost of equity. And that compounds over time, right? And That's a beautiful way to build a business, and that's how the equity in the business works. Now, you throw in debt for whatever reasons to do buybacks or, or or to buy capital stock, where possibly the returns are not what the cost of equity would be, because otherwise you'd have gone out and raised equity. That doesn't build capital over time. And I think the the bit that I've been really sort of at it's a very it's very dispersed, but this sort of the role of Earnings per share, right? Everybody's very focused on earnings per share as this sort of um, core vector of value or growth or something, and it's nonsense, right? You can manipulate earnings per share so easily, right? You can—I mean, China's probably the worst example, but you can sort of see it everywhere. The way to get your earnings per share out is shoot your balance sheet to pieces, right? So you know, as you're seeing in the worst case in China, you you let your receivables drift up, or you let your inventories drift up, but the idea is you can. You can run stuff through the income statement that you're not you know, capitalizing away in your balance sheet. So the equity itself isn't growing, but you can grow your earnings per share. So debt is a debt is more of an income statement thing to grow your your business. But if the business hasn't actually accruing value in terms of the balance sheet or you know what you're paying back to shareholders, it gets really difficult. I think this is the point that you made in your GMI is that. that how do you get paid as an equity investor? This is the the, the riskiest part of the capital structure, right? It's not, and I think it's sort of one side of it, people use it as like an option, right? It just like it goes up and down, it's very liquid. And on the other side of it, you can use it as a comp- compounding mechanism. But I think you know, when you when you reduce debt and I think I think of reducing debt in a high quality way by just simply generating more cash flow and having more ability to to fund your own capex. Um, and that's really what the core of the biggest most successful businesses on earth are right now whether it's the magnificent 7 although whether it's
0: although France. to be fair Angus most of them didn't start that way not the businesses of the last 20 years almost all of them were negative cash flow for an extended period of time which is a complete change because no bank would fund that beforehand Unless it was an infrastructure project, um, so it just feels like it. It's different. I don't, know, Jordy. What do you think this whole flip
3: between debt and equity means? Yeah, I, I have. I think I have a different, um, a different take. And my 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 brain goes the direction five to ten years. and I think we're in the early stages of. With the rise in AI, um, we're getting rid of the last piece of the puzzle of the association of the correlation between debt and the market cap of a company. So when we talk about equity or debt, I'm just looking for they they need money to expand their business. And if you wanted to take your business and grow your market cap, you had to borrow money or raise money somehow or take it out of earnings. and I think we're entering a world now where the debt that was remaining, the one expense that you needed to grow no matter what in the virtual world or the digital world was still people. So whether it's Google, whether it's Amazon, they still needed to hire an enormous amount of people to scale. Being able to scale now without location – like less physical buildings and stuff because you've got a more virtual or software world, whatever. You don't need to expand the way that a Starbucks does or anything like that. You can just do it uh, without that. Now you can do it without people. And we're starting to see that more or let's say with less people because of AI. And so the way that people think and have worried about artificial intelligence is that it would lead to a lot of job firings. I've written about this. I think the right way to think about it is what will happen is there's going to be a tremendous amount of startups that are able to grow much faster without raising capital the way they did in the past. And you've seen this with some of the bigger AI companies, particularly like Mistral in in Europe. They're able to scale their businesses to a billion and a half dollars in record amounts of time and without having to give up as much of the business that they did in the past. So the owners are going to own more. And Raul, this segues right into what I believe, which is, you know, I always joke with macro, if I can find situations like with my kids that I know at age five, what they're going to kind of, I know a lot of things about what they'll be like at 15. It's very easy to say, they'll be taller, they'll weigh more, they'll have more stress. With this world, AI leads to more cyber, it leads to more cryptography or blockchain. And it fits in with the concept of, I think smaller businesses are going to own more of their business than they did in the past, where the banks, the VC places, private equity have owned a bigger share. And I think the public market size relative to the economy is going to start to shrink. And I think that's going to start to happen. And you're going to have more smaller businesses that are not mom and pop, but they're people that are driven by younger people that maybe want to own more of their business and don't have to go this monetization. So, debt to some degree is tied to monetization in these things. And I just don't think that's going to happen <laughs> much over the next five years.
4: I mean, I, I agree Joy, with what you're saying. I mean, I would sort of push back on the one thing you said, Ralph, that, that your business is starting at negative free cash. No, so I, I totally agree. I mean, that's, you know, as venture is scaled up, that's filled that gap really nicely. And I think we're on a sort of linear track toward what Geordie is saying, right? So, you know, less venture required, you know, the cost of setting up a business is relatively low, and getting lower. And I think, you know, large language models help you get there very quickly. So it's it's sort of a, a phase in where, yeah, I think there's, there's less reliance on debt, less reliance on venture, um, and more equity ownership by the owners. And
0: One of the things I've it. also been trying to get my head around is, I also think businesses will rise and fall much faster like I was using recently Otter AI to do when you're on a Zoom call it does the it transcribes it gives you some notes Zoom we started using the Zoom one it's like 10x better <laughs> that's the end of Otter and we're seeing this happen at a scale because people are now using AI to build the AI to build the business to build the AI and it's like it's like hyper fast I'm worried that venture capital will never be able to capture money in this environment. Sure, in some areas, of course, but in some of the really fast moving areas, we've seen it in blockchain. It's been really hard. It's an ICO market seems to be more effective because it can trade for six months and be worth a lot or nothing. And it's OK. But I think I'm not sure the VC survives this.
4: I, mean, I think you've got to separate out in tech, specifically hardware from software. Right? Hardware was kind of written off. 10 years ago now the hottest thing in the world it's now the hottest thing in the world i mean you were talking to Jan about our smh etf i mean that thing is ridiculous because it's the the way that has ended up with a relatively small number of holdings is just it's the winners right and those winners are now undisruptible so while software is very easy to disrupt the you know the hardware stuff almost impossible i don't think you can disrupt tsmc i mean it's you know there are Chips you can take away of it, and you know who knows them on Nvidia, but that looks pretty safe for the time being. So, there's, I think you know the software side of it. Uh, yes, I think your point is, is is very fair, but the hardware part is is going to be king, right? How do, do you
0: do the hardware? It, it's almost I'm like reading a, re, a random king. book that both of you will probably enjoy, and you wouldn't think you would. Is Yanis Varoufakis, you know, the kind of Marxist intellectual economist,
2: yeah. Greece.
1: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com/tech.
0: He's got a book called Techno-feudalism and it's bloody interesting because his view is these platforms like Amazon, Twitter, Apple, all of these, they are now a feudal-based system. They're not capitalist because it's all rent taking. So you're a rent taker at the middle of the system. And if you want to operate in that world, the feudal landlord takes his fees. And I think it's the same in tech hardware. That's where it's going. Is like you there's literally the barriers to entry are so high it's almost impossible, of which Taiwan as a country has a barrier to entry so high it's almost impossible to deal with. That they become feudal landlords of the of the hardware, it becomes very interesting. And maybe the serfs in the bazaar trading things are all of the software companies in the end. When it used to be a software owned world, again, there's something shifting here, and I don't know what it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, you have this weird scenario where the costs to build businesses, particularly in the software and services space, decline, uh, but in the hardware space, it almost becomes a nation state driven business. Uh, how does that kind of shake out,
4: Angus? As you see it? I mean, these, these businesses are sort of truly international. How you know, if you look at their cap structure, you know, they're not. They just happen to have a geographic location. Now, you know, TSMC can't move, and they, you know, they're doing some stuff in the US, and you can understand why, because you know. Right. The board of Apple is going to say to them, "Guys, you can't have every chip made in Taiwan, right? You've got to, you've got to figure that out." But they can't—they can't get the margins there because they can't move the engineers there, and the whole ecosystem is in in Taiwan. So it's sort of—I think that's difficult to move. But I think you've got to sort of come out of the construct of thinking these are a business that belongs to any one country, right? Because they're—you know—they sell globally, they source globally. Um, they're just global players, and it was sort of like back to that sort of SMH thing that they're the best to breed. It's like a soccer team where every single player is the best they can in every one position. Um, and and but I think the one thing that's worrying, and I think that there was an analog in China where you know you had Alibaba and Tencent and Meituan, and they all grew up together super fast, right? They all acquired customers, and then at a certain point they acquired all the customers, and they all acquired all the customers, right? So there's no more vertical growth. So they started to eat each other, right? And I think there's a sort of logical progression in, you know, NVIDIA, Microsoft, you know, Amazon, whether it's in, like, hyperscale, uh, you know, AI as a service, that they all start to converge. And I, you know, that's a that's an interesting and maybe a little worrisome situation. So I think it's sort of natural. I'm sure, you know, in, although NVIDIA say they're not, I think they're headed that way. I
0: mean, Um, that feels to me that within that, and Jordan, I don't know what you think about this, but it feels that AI has zero moat in a world where everybody, it's kind of like a perfect competition marketplace where you're restricted by the hardware. And they all tell you that the hardwares are constrained and everybody's just going to build model after model after model, cheaper, faster, cheaper, faster. And AI is going to be the water of society. It's going to be everywhere and it's going to be virtually free, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what the hell that means. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I, I the, the you know that I I I spend I mean, people would say too much time on it, but let's just say I I spend a lot of time on it and so do a few of the employees here at the, at that number. And I will tell you with uh absolute certainty, the people that use it a lot, particularly people like myself and the other people I'm thinking about, which for the most part, believe it or not, are above the age of 40. Those are the people I know that use it a lot inside the firm. Their value in terms of what they can do is is enormous because to have the wisdom as, as, as an older person or someone who has all the managerial skills and stuff and combine it with AI, it gives you this ability to do lots of things and do it in a way that's fun. And everyone that uses it is like, it's so amazing. I wanted work on the weekends. And the way that I see this playing out again is the talent will leave the public market system because they don't want to work for companies that are Honestly, they're they're assembly line or they still have that thing if you work for it, you're going to get paid some kind of money and you're going to go off and you have to work all these hours. You don't know what you're going to get paid. If you own equity, you need the five companies where equity is going higher. And I'll say that again, there aren't many companies where equity is going higher. So in this world, I just think the alternative for people is the more that AI is around Employees that use it will leave and go to another world, and they'll use AI to compete with the businesses that they know that they can do stuff with. So you made the point, Raul, which I agree with, and I'm going to say that's what the answer is for AI. It's going to speed up the rise and fall of companies, for sure. You will get more bankruptcies, and you will get more startups every year. And that's what we had last year, and I wrote about that, that it's such an interesting time when you have almost record bankruptcies in the U.S., And you have record new business formations like that's that's the kind of thing that you want to see. And I think AI and and I'll keep throwing it in crypto and the blockchain are having a very similar thing where people want more control over their life their business and they want to have more excitement in terms of an equity culture where it's not just sitting there where they get a job and they're working really hard on AI and they fire the five people next to them because they're so good, but they don't get paid much more money. So I think it's a it's a cultural thing that's going to change and we'll see it more over the next five years. But I'm I'm certain in the fact that AI is going to have that kind of a disruptive impact. Yeah. Super interesting I don't know whether
4: it's going to be that I mean I I think you're right in the broad sense. I, I think that I don't think it's gonna be that disruptive to the base plate we can see now because you know most people you know if you think about the sort of age range of a corporate old chart, right, always the old dude at the top right, and he's the guy who innovates last right and he's scared and it's all very difficult, but you know something as powerful as AI as you talk about you know will become increasingly obvious to everybody right, but you know adopting AI in the way that this is scaling, right? So most other technologies, you know, if you've wanted to you know, have access to an app, you've got to go by yourself. Oh, sorry about that. That's go by yourself. So why
2: is not an, like an,
4: an iPhone, right? Or you've got to go buy yourself the hardware. You've got to go, you know, the hyperscalers are setting this thing up where they own all the H100s, they own the process power, the foundational models, and they just sell it to you as a solution, right? You just load your data onto it. So you can elect to, adopt AI whenever you want, right? And and I think that's the way it, it, it's scaling out. So, you know, I think when the pressure, when the realization comes to everyone, it will be adopted, right? At some stage, I don't, I don't, it feels to me like the mass destruction thing isn't going to be there because the foundational layer is going to be built by somebody else and sold for peanuts. And the difference is going to be the, you know, the more, the faster this gets, the more scalable it gets, the cheaper a token gets, or thousand tokens get or whatever access you want
0: but to. then doesn't that just play into the idea that businesses start and fail much faster because everybody's got this ludicrously fast technology and we're seeing businesses using the AI to scale their business models, you know, developing product, writing code and it gets faster and faster and faster. It's bloody hard.
4: No, because I think the the bit that I think is sort of glossed over in that thesis is this idea that you know what is what is the core value of an AI model? The core value is your data. Right So you know when you sort of move on to a you know the Microsoft AI platform, right, you take their model, but you ring fence your data and that's that's what you're using to drive your efficient or your improved outcomes, right So there is a very discrete element to everybody's workflow in AI based on the data that they bring to the party so um, I, I think it's it's less disruptive than you'd probably assume, um, because it's about making each enterprise more efficient. Now, if it's like, I don't know, a power generator and figuring out latency in, in network, right? That's, that's a wonderful AI task. Or if it's, if it's, um, you know, somebody shipping automobiles, how do I, how do I bring down my working capital days? Again, super easy. Uh, so I think the, the individual workflow for individual companies based on the data they're able to bring to. You know, a foundational model able to buy off the peg from Microsoft is is where the disruption will be happening, uh, and the disruption is probably aimed more at efficiency. So, if you think that you know you can make a power generating company more efficient, therefore that power generating company becomes more profitable, then they will probably invest more, hire more people. So, there is a sort of analog that says that it's not it's not this sort of wrecking ball that I think is 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 sort of the the most fearful outcome
3: i I strongly disagree and it's a good time for us to have some disagreement i i love what angus said because it gives us a chance to kind of say something and i don't disagree with what he said but the disruption to me is no different than what amazon did to to the to the mall stocks it is exactly the same thing but it's not going to happen and maybe this is where angus and i are on the same page it's not going to happen with say an open ai or mr or any of these i what they're doing is not disrupting things but the ability now for people to literally start up little businesses with less people is much easier than replacing people with AI in an established business. So it happens slowly. So I think to to Angus's point, we won't see a disruption happen overnight, and it probably won't happen in a way that we can identify comparing Amazon to, to mall stocks. But it's gonna be the same thing to me with software companies. And I know we're seeing that because I can see it with the fact that small cap stocks can't rally. Um, there's very important parts of the market which have value, which are building in that, hey, you know what the problem is here? We have AI happening at one se- on one cents, which is disrupting. And then we have this vice grip of rates being at higher levels. And so if you're not an efficient company and you don't embrace AI and find a way to restructure your business with less people, You're going to have startups that are happening. And I think this is where Ronald, you could have 10,000 startups happen next year that are competing with a lot of companies. And it doesn't show up in the public company side. And I don't think Microsoft and these companies will be disrupted in a big manner. But I do think the disruption from AI is absolutely happening real time. I think it shows up in a lot of the private companies. So I think it's going to be a massive disruption.
1: You can see that full conversation over on our website. And if you missed any of the crypto gathering, and you are registered, you'll be able to go back and access it and watch it all in full. Just head over to the website. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time-efficient tools, and a powerful network to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.